You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. We're studying the book of Mark uh, in an expository form chapter by chapter, verse by verse, not skipping anything, and uh, we're taking our time in it. It's been uh, about four months as a church, and we're only finishing chapter four, so it's about a chapter a month or so, it looks like, uh, how it's going. Um, But we are in Mark chapter four, verses 35 through 41 this morning, and this is the famous, we all know, story of Jesus calming the storm on the Sea of Galilee, and so if you have a Bible, you can turn there. As always, we have uh, Bibles that you can use, borrow, or take if you don't have one by the doors as you guys walk in. I'll be studying out of the New Living Translation. If you don't have that translation, it'll be up on the screen, or you can share with someone next to you. But let's go ahead and read Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41 this morning. It says, As evening came... Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. Verse 37, but soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat and began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat and his head on a cushion. The disciples woke up shouting, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the winds and said to the waves, silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. When he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray once again. God, we... we, We come before you, Father, anticipating that you would speak to us this morning. And God, you've given us this text this morning and this story, uh, and we get to see more of who you are, Jesus, what kind of God you are, and the power and authority that you have over even the wind and the waves. And we pray this morning as, as a people that are gathered that you would speak to us, that you would soften our hearts that you would remove any barriers, any walls, any, any things that we've kind of put up, any distractions where our minds may be wandering right now, we ask that you would still our minds as well, just as you did the winds and the waves. And so, Father God, we ask that you would anoint our time, that your will would be done. Jesus, we ask that you would meet us where we're at, that in the storms that we're in. For those of us, they may be great storms, maybe things that we feel like we're being overwhelmed by them, just like the disciples in the boat were. For those of us that have had tremendous loss recently, or we're in the midst of tremendous hardship, we ask that your nearness would be our good this morning. And just as the disciples lacked faith, we ask that you would help our unbelief, that we would be a people that trust in our God, even in the midst of our storms. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So today we finish chapter four of Mark. Next week we'll jump into chapter five. But 
If you weren't here last week, we were out of Mark just for a little bit because we talked about this little thing called This Is Reality. And we took a Sunday to really talk about what we believe as a church. What are our values? What's important to us? A little bit more about our story. I want to encourage you to go listen to that if you feel like this is your home church or thinking about that or curious about what we're all about and making sure we're not creepy and weird and you can come back again, you should listen to it. It'll help you. It'll help you understand where we're coming from and where we're going and what we feel like God is doing in this church. And so go ahead and do that. But before that, we spent three weeks digging into the parables. You know, the parables are stories that Jesus taught and he used and he used them when he taught the crowds and the disciples and they were stories that were very common and relatable, but in the midst of that, they had an underlying important, vitally important spiritual truth attached to them. And so we dug in, we looked at a different parable each week, but today we pick up on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And most likely, it's in the city of Capernaum. Capernaum is in the north, um, on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. This was uh, kind of Jesus' home base. This is where he kind of spent a lot of his time. This is Peter. You guys know Peter. This is his, where his, his, his hometown was, where Peter's house, house was. And much of Jesus' ministry thus far in the book of Mark has been in Capernaum. And so most likely this is the scene or this is the start of the scene when they get in the boats, when Jesus says to his disciples, we need to go to the other side. Most likely he's saying, hey, we're on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. We need to go to the other side being the south side, the south shore. This narrative that we most likely you learned in Sunday school or if you, if you went to church where you were a kid, um, there's many pictures that have been depicted. I mean, it's a pretty famous one, right? Jesus calms the storm. The, the boat was raging in the sea, and then all of a sudden Jesus spoke a word and it's calm. We've read it before. We know it. It's actually recorded in three of the four Gospels. They're, they're called the Synoptic Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John's Gospel is a bit different in its writing form, but a lot, there's a lot of overlap with Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so if you're reading the Gospels, right, if you've read through the New Testament, you might have been reading in Matthew at one time, and then you jump to Mark, and you're like, wait, this is the same story, only different. And so we, we, we have this recorded, this historical narrative recorded in those three, uh, Matthew 8, Mark 4 this morning, and Luke chapter 8. But what it's doing, and what this whole section is doing, the, the end of chapter 4 and all of chapter 5, is that there's four miracles in a row, right? So it's the, you know, calming of the sea, and there's the healing of the demon-possessed man, and then there's people's response to faith. There's four miracles that happen in a row, and they're all showing us something different about Jesus. Again, that's, that's the point of the gospel in general, but specifically, there's four miracles that we're going to take, take a week each on, and they each show that Jesus Christ is truly God himself in the flesh. So this morning, it shows us that Jesus has absolute power over nature. Next week, we're going to see that Jesus has absolute power over the spiritual realm or the spiritual world. The following week, we'll see his power and authority over physical death. And then finally, we'll see at the end of Mark chapter 5 that he has power even over death. But each miracle shows that like omnipotent, all-powerful sovereignty of God. 
that there is nothing that is outside of Jesus' control or realm. There's nothing too big. There's nothing too scary. There's no piece of life that Jesus cannot overcome or he is not over because we will see that he truly is God himself. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be a sweet little mini-series that we're going to do on the miracles of Jesus. But up to this point in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus has done a lot in a short time. Like there's an extensive reach to his ministry leading up to this point, right? He's taught in synagogue. He's taught in homes. He's healed every kind of sickness that was brought to him. The multitudes came to see him, and every single person he healed and set free. He cast out demons, and for pretty much from dawn until dusk, Jesus was doing ministry. He was being poured out. He was meeting needs. The kingdom of God, right, was breaking in, and people were experiencing the, the, the God that they had been anticipating. The Messiah had come, and it had come in this person named Jesus. And Jesus was tired, <laughs> and we'll see that. He's, he's sleeping most of the time in our narrative today. But for, for, it was time to depart that place. Right? It was time to depart that area and head across the Sea of the Galilee. And most likely, it was to, to, to just rest, to have a second, to be still, to recoup, and then continue to do ministry. But does this help you? For those of you that have not been to Israel, and uh, I'm visual, so it might help you. I have a couple pictures to kind of show you um, the Sea of Galilee, just so you can get a picture before we jump into the storm, know about the boat you're getting into. So, uh, no problem. So, well, let's actually take it off for a second. <laughs> take it off for a second. Okay, so the Sea of Galilee, I will say this, is not necessarily so much of a sea. It's actually more of a lake. They just call it the Sea of Galilee. It's not really a sea. It's actually only 13 miles long by 8 miles wide, large lake. Uh, square footage or acreage or whatever is about two times larger than Pearl Harbor. If you're going to take out all the little islands in the middle of Pearl Harbor and it was just, that's Pearl Harbor, it's twice as big as that. So not really a sea, more like a large lake. And so what happens is, is the headwaters of the Jordan River, the famous Jordan River, enters into the Sea of Galilee and then it goes out of the Sea of Galilee all the way along the Jordan River to the Dead Sea in southern Israel. And so Jordan River is running alongside it, and the Sea of Galilee is in the north, uh, Dead Sea is in the south. But here is a picture of the headwaters of the Jordan River. I don't know if that seems impressive to you or not. It's not that impressive, to be honest. Um, but just so you know, like, there's a spring, and that's where all the water comes. And here is the start of the, of the Sea of Galilee. Capernaum would be over here. This is the north side or the north coast of this little lake, this little sea. And then next picture, please. This is what, if you were to go up just on a tiny hill and look over the entirety of the Sea of Galilee, this is what you would see. On a clear day, it's no problem to see across it. Um, that's if it's a clear day, which we'll see in a second. It wasn't. But uh, evening time on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus says, hey, let's go to the other side. And so that's where we pick up in this little lake in northern Israel. They're going from here to that side. And it, mo it most likely looked like that. It was evening time we see in our text today. But most, most of the time, this lake is really tranquil. Most of the time, it's like that. It's just a little lake. There's a bunch of fishermen in it. It's pretty mellow. It's not bustling by any means. 
uh, most of the times it's pretty tranquil. You can uh, take that down. Thanks, Becky. But what happens is, is there's this big mountain range about 30 miles north of this. Mount Hermon is like the largest, tallest mountain. It's almost 10,000 feet above sea level. So what happens is, is that all this cold air rushes down and the Sea of Galilee is 700 feet below sea level. So 10,000 feet to, it's actually 9,200 feet down to 700 feet. 10,000 feet in a short time, hot air, cold air, lots of storms really quickly. And that's what we see in our text today. And it actually happened fairly often. If you were a fisherman and you fish the Sea of Galilee, you would know that on a dime, the weather can change because of this. So all that said, and all the pictures, and all the history lessons there, let's look at what happened. Now, pretend you're in a boat, right? Put yourself in the boat with Jesus and his disciples. So as evening came, Jesus said, verse 35, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. Right? And, and so we see that. Like Jesus tells his disciples to get in, and most likely it's all 12 of them, which we saw in Mark chapter 3. Uh, they left most of the people behind, and they went across the lake. It says a few boats followed with them, but nonetheless, most of them go across the lake. And so what happens, we see in our text this morning, is that a storm comes. And what is Jesus doing? He's sleeping, and he doesn't wake up because of the storm. The disciples have to wake him up. But a raging storm comes. It almost sinks the boat. The disciples were terrified, and they're, they were thinking they were going to drown. I mean, so this is a pretty bad storm. It wasn't just like it got windy and the boat rocked a bit. Most of these guys are fishermen. They know a storm from a storm. They were so terrified that they woke up Jesus and their question to him was, Jesus, don't you care we're even going to drown right now? You shouldn't be sleeping. That's what they're saying pretty much. What happens is, is uh, Jesus gets up. He calms the storm immediately with a word. The wind and the waves die out completely. And his response to them is, why were you afraid? Why did you have little faith? Why are you even worrying? Because I am with you. That's like the total cliff notes. But here's why, here's what I want to do today is this story is so rich. And there's so much we can get out of it. But I want to kind of just pull, pull across six or seven different things um, just real quickly of what we could get out of this and how it applies to our own life. Number one is this isn't just an historical narrative. This story is for us. Because we can read this and we can go, you know, look and say, that was great, that's awesome, that's cool. I can't believe Jesus did that. How does that even apply to me? I'm not in Israel. I don't, I'm not in the boat. Jesus isn't in the boat with me. How does this apply? First thing when reading this, we need to know is that it's for us. And it should speak and apply to our own lives. Because as we know storms, or like this, this, this picture of this storm, is synonymous with trials and tribulations and tragedy and persecution. And we would be kidding ourselves if we didn't admit that we too have been in storms or are in them now or we're going to encounter them ourselves. It's for us, the story, and, and the lessons and the things that we can glean from it are for us, for today, for our lives, just as much as it was 2,000 years ago um, to the nation of Israel. Second thing is that we see a vivid picture here of Jesus being fully God and fully man at the same time. 
Like in the same moment, in the same scenario, that Jesus was fully God and fully man. What I mean by that is that Jesus was sleeping. And he was sleeping because he was exhausted. I mean, he had ran and ran and ran and healed and healed and healed and cast out demon after demon. And he was just tired. We, we know that from scripture, that Jesus was fully man just as much as you and I are human. He was exhausted and, de- and dead asleep in the midst of a raging storm, right? He had been going for days, and the reason why he wanted to leave was to just get some rest and some refuge for a little bit, right? The only thing that differs between you and I is he, he never sinned. But other than that, he was completely human and, and, and completely like us in all ways. He can sympathize with all of our weaknesses, Scripture says, because he's fully man. But then, in like full supernatural divine display, he calms the wind and waves in a moment. Well, that's not normal. You and I can't do that. Wait, Jesus, you were just sleeping on a cushion, it says, and you didn't even wake up because you were so tired, and the disciples had to wake you up, but then in a moment, you spoke to the storm, and what happened? It stopped, like immediately, right? You see that juxtaposition, like, wait, you're fully man, but you're fully God in the same boat, in the same storm, in the same scenario. And and we see that throughout Scripture, that he's the God-man, God incarnate, that he's fully God and fully man. We see that in a a very powerful way in the story. We also learn that, or we should see, that storms really happen. Like, they really happen, especially for followers of Christ. This is what I mean by that. So many times, specifically Christians, we want to deny this fact that nothing bad should ever happen to us, right? Nothing, now that we're walking with the Lord and, we, and, and, and God is with us, that, that our lives only should be filled with blessing. Like we only should be joyful. We never should be sad. Nothing bad should ever happen. And we should always be in a good spot. I'm not sure where that idea came from, but it sure wasn't the Bible. That's not in the Bible. That's not a thing. It actually says much the opposite, that in this life you will encounter many, many trials. Like, the Christian life in this world is filled with storms. This is a bare minimum for the Christian life. Like, we have trials Peter, the same Peter that was in the boat, wrote a letter to the church that was scattered years from this time. And this is what he said. He said this. He was in the boat, and he said this. 1 Peter 4.12, he said, Dear friends, speaking of you know, brothers and sisters in Christ, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through as if something strange were happening to you. Like life is filled with tragedy, and it's filled with storms. Like, when Peter was writing this, he would have remembered that night on the Sea of Galilee. Like, I was with Jesus, and we went through a storm still. Jesus promised this. He spoke of it over and over. And the truth is, is that we still live in a fallen world. It's evil that's filled with, with, with sin and the effects of sin. And in this life, we will encounter hardship. And our storms may look very differently than one another, and obviously differently than our story this morning, 
But the storms of life can be anything from like illness, right? That's huge. You get cancer, you get sick, like you have a chronic illness. Financial problems, you lost your job, can't make ends meet. Like that's a real storm. That's real effects in your life. A tragedy in your family, death in your family with a close loved one, like that is, that is at the paramount of a storm in your life. Or it could be relational or marital problems. You, you get the idea. Like storms are, are hardships and tragedy and like when you're going through it, you know, like when, you're, when your life is not full of joy and it's not full of peace and you feel like I'm struggling and I feel like I'm in the midst of it and I can't get out of it and I feel like in some ways I'm like the disciples in the boat, I'm drowning. Like, we, I don't think I have to, you know, belabor the point. We can agree that that is life. It happens. We should not just think that it won't, it will, and uh, we will encounter storms. And for the disciples, this was as real as it got. I've alluded to already, but these, these, some, some of Jesus' boys here, his disciples, were like generational fishermen, like third, fourth, fifth, or longer generations of fishermen. They grew up on this lake. They knew a storm. They had been in a storm. I mean, you could say uh, they were first century watermen. I mean, these guys were like in it. They knew it. They weren't scared. They were ready for anything. <laughs> and this storm terrified them. I mean, so you have to understand, it wasn't like a fake storm. It wasn't just they were kind of freaking out and they, you know, they were tired and irritable. I mean, these were like fishermen that had grown up and they thought they were going to die. I mean, this storm was real as it gets. They were terrified. They were fearing for their lives. So much so that they went to Jesus and were like, why don't you care that we're going to drown right now? All the boys waking him up from sleep in the storm. And what we can gather from this text, too, is that we humans, just like the guys, struggle with fear when we lose control. That is, that is, that's going to hit home. It's me home. Uh, it should hit all of us home because that is what we desperately struggle with as humans is that Fear rushes in when we lose control of something, right? When a storm comes in our life, most of this time that storm is a storm because it's rocking something foundational, right? If it's, if it's, if it's like, like, like a death or an illness or a financial problem, those all rock you in real tangible, like deep foundational ways. And so when something like that comes in your life, you, usually because it's, you're losing control, you feel like you can't do anything about it. And usually a storm is when you lose control of your life in some way, right? Like there's a heavy loss or there's something that's going astray and you can't do anything. And when we lose control, we begin losing control of our emotions and our well-being. And what rushes in is fear and anxiety and worry and stress. Sound like anybody? Unfortunately, that's, that's my go-to. That's, that's my go-to, right? Because for, for me, I am a, uh, what, am I, what am I saying? I'm complicated. God bless my wife for dealing with me. I, uh, I, so when something bad happens, I want to immediately just try to fix it or figure it out or like, you know, problem solve or just manage it and what happens is, is instead of 
running to the Lord, when I lose control, it, it comes with a way of stress and anxiety and worry, which turns into fear because something that I had or wanted or, or I planned for isn't happening now. And so my control is lost and I become like the disciples in fear of my life, so to speak. And I don't think uh, any of you may probably be different. You may uh, show it in different ways. But for the disciples, they freaked out. They woke up Jesus their phrasing of their question said it all. They said, don't you care that we were drowning? What were you doing? Where have you been? Is what they pretty much meant. And even in the tone or the phrasing of their question, it was because they felt like, Jesus, what are you doing? Don't you see us in this storm? Aren't you aware of the hardship we're going to? Why aren't you doing things? And for so many of us, when storms and tragedy hit in our own life, we can do the same thing to God. We can say, God, where are you? Why are you allowing this to happen, right? If you're sovereign, if you're in control of everything and you're able to make everything go away, why are you allowing me to go through this? And the same questions on a really deep level come in, right? Once we lose control and we fear and we worry, we do the same with God. We think, God, where are you? Why aren't you doing anything? Why aren't you stopping this? This is the question that they were asking Jesus under the boat when the storm is raging. Don't you even care that we're about to drown, right? So we say to God, don't you even care what I'm going through? So this story is very relatable because we tend to do the same thing. We quickly run to fear. We quickly run to worry. We, click, we quickly run to not to God when, when the storms come. But what we need to see from this story, what we need to take with us today also, is that God is always present in the midst of our storms. He is always there with us. He is very aware of what's happening. He is absolutely not sleeping on the job, so to speak. He is intimately acquainted with all our waves, and he knows what you're going through, and he is with you, even though it may not feel like it. That's because it's part of his nature and a part of his promise that he'll never leave us. And he's never gone back on any of his promises. He's been 100% faithful forever and he won't and he still will be. We see this, this truth all throughout scripture, right? Even the fact that, you know, in Isaiah's prophecy about his birth, he, he, he was called Emmanuel, God with us. That's who, that's who Jesus is in Isaiah 7, 14. Psalm 46.1 says that God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Like God is ever present with you in your storm. Deuteronomy 31 or Hebrews 13.5 says the Lord your God goes with you and he'll never leave you nor forsake you. And that applies to tragedies and hardships and trials and persecution. One of my favorites is Psalm 30, uh, 73, 28. It says, but as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of your works. See, God is always near to us and his nearness is our strength and our good. And the truth that we need to know is that Jesus is in the boat with us. 
Like when the storms rage, when we encounter incredible loss in our families, when we get a horrible diagnosis from the doctor, right? When we lose our jobs, we lose our way of living, when, when it feels like our life is falling apart, you fill in the blanks. Jesus is with you. And the moment you hear it, when you can't fall asleep at night, when you can't feel like you can function, like Jesus is with you and he is an ever-present help. He is with you in the boat. He is not far off. He is near to you, whether you feel him or not. You have, you have to take that one home. You have, to, you have to hold on tightly to his promises to that one. Because I'll tell you the truth, outside of salvation, that is the best news for us. That Jesus is with us. Like, I know that for me, that gives me such comfort. It gives me such confidence Like, even in the hardest thing, like, wait, even in the valley of the shadow of death, Lord, you're with me, Psalm 23? Like, your rod and your staff, they comfort me? Is is there nowhere where I can go from you? No, there's not. Like, outside of you giving your life to the Lord, that should be the most single uh, powerful thing that comforts you, is that regardless of what you go through, God is with you. And if you truly know who that God is that's with you, it will comfort you in ways that nothing else will. But we also see that it doesn't stop there, that not only is Jesus with us, but Jesus has the power to stop our storms. Right, that's something that, uh, that, that, that we see in this story. I mean, a very powerful way. Jesus stops immediately the waves and the wind. But sometimes his plan is that we do have to endure or weather or continue in the storm um, for longer than we want to, much longer than we want to for many of us. And we see in scripture that God's plans are better than our plans and that if he is allowing this storm in your life to happen, that there is a purpose in it, that it's for our betterment, that it's for our perseverance and our character and our growth. James chapter 1 would tell us of this. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 says, Dear brothers and sisters, James speaking to the church here, dear brothers and sisters, when trials of any, excuse me, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Weird thing to say, but then he goes on, he says, For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. And sometimes God allows and keeps us in the storm, but it's only because he wants to continue to be near to us and speak to us and use that for his glory in some way. But what we see today is that Jesus in a moment didn't take a while. He didn't have to say like a magic word or like do some kind of trick or do all this stuff. In a moment, the wind and the waves stopped and they did. And that just doesn't happen. Right, Even like if the wind completely stopped at the beach for a while, you'd still have like waves rolling in for a while because of the wind far out. But literally it says that it, still calm silence happened. I mean, this was a raging storm and all of a sudden it was, it was like quiet. There was no sounds at all. And in first century Israel, there was a debate about a lot of things. And everybody believed what God and God, what God could or couldn't do. But there was not a debate whether God was in control of nature or not. 
Only God could control nature. That was not debated. Everyone agreed on that. There was many ideas about a lot of stuff, but it was not debated that only the God of the Old Testament, their God, Yahweh, only Yahweh could do something like this. Because if you think of it, Yahweh, God of the Old Testament, the God of these, their ancestors, was the one that created the natural world. Right? It was the, it was the, he was the one that flooded the earth with Noah and kept Noah safe. When the Israelites were freed from Egypt, who parted the Red Sea? God. When they entered into the promised land, where they are now, when the Jordan River parted, who did that? God. He alone was the one that could do this sort of thing. And on this day, in the Sea of Galilee, in front of all the disciples and all the little other boats, Jesus of Nazareth proved once again undeniably that he was God in the flesh. Only something that Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, God the Father could do. Jesus has the power to stop storms. And we can trust that even as bad as you may think the state of your life is, that Jesus is able to bring you through it. He's able to bring healing and peace and restoration. Like he's able to stop it. He's able to provide for you or to bring peace where there's no peace or comfort where there's no comfort or provision where there's no provision. Jesus is able to do those things. He is God over everything and able to still our storms. But the real question that matters this morning is what Jesus asked to the disciples, right? Because all that's good. But when all this happens and Jesus calms the storm, he asks them a question. You know, he says, why did you doubt? Why didn't you believe? Like, why do you have little faith? And so the question that really matters most for you and I this morning is, do we have faith in Jesus' power and his presence in the midst of our own storms? It's good that we read this. It's an awesome story. It's radical. But... You now in this room, what you've been through, what you're going through, or what you will go through, do we, do you and do I, have the faith in the power and in the person, in the presence of Jesus, when we are like the disciples in a sinking ship? So do we trust in God? Do we, do, we, do we believe that he is who he said he is and he's able to calm my storm? He's able to, to be with me? Do we, do, we, do we trust in him? Or are we quickly running to worry and anxiety and fear rather than trust and faith? And so the questions we have to ask ourselves when we read something like this are, how will we react when the storms come? Because, right, they'll come. That's, that's undeniable. We can't just say, well, you know what, I'll just figure it out, or, you know, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen to me. It's going to happen. And so how will we react? That's a real question for us. Do we trust Jesus, trust that he's in control? Do we trust that he knows best? Or like the disciples, like many of us, like me a lot of times, are we lacking faith? Are we lacking trust in God? Are we doubting? Right? Are we, are, we, are we kind of like, you know what, it's been too long. God, I, I don't know, I can't handle this anymore. You're too absent. Like, what are you doing? I, I don't know where you are. are. Are we doubting the Lord or are we trusting the Lord? 
the cool thing is, is we have this example of the, follower, the first followers of Jesus. And man, they were, they were some of the biggest doubters. Jesus was in front of them. Right? He had seen them do all these miracles, and they were still doubting. They would continue to doubt. They would continue to not trust. And they even asked Jesus, like, Jesus, I'm sorry, but would you help my unbelief? They, they knew that they had trouble, and they struggled with trusting Jesus even in, in front of them. And we, too, can do that. Like, that is good and right that if we're lacking faith, that we come to the Lord and say, Lord, I want to be that. Like, I, want, I don't want to run to fear, worry, anxiety. I want to be able to trust in you that you're with me and for me and able to get me through. And so this morning, we should, we should definitely assess that and definitely do that. We should come before the Lord and we should really assess our own life and our own reactions and, and what we do and what we don't do. And we should line ourselves up to the disciples in the boat with Jesus. And we should ask ourselves, what would we do or what are we doing? These last five years for my wife and I have been the hardest of our entire life. We're not old, so that's not much to say. Like there's a lot more life to, that'll happen um, Lord willing, who knows? But I'm sure there's, there's greater things or more complex things will happen. But there was just a compounded hardship of these last five years. Um, there was tremendous loss relationally with people. There was um, uh, really close friends passed away. Uh, there was just a lot of stuff happening to get to this church plant in our community back home. And there was just so much coming at so many times. And man, I would absolutely have said that like, I can't do this. I can't handle it. I'm drowning. I'm out. And there's a lot of times I wanted to give up. I wanted to just be done. Um, the pain was too hard. There was too much happening at once. And it was like an elongated storm for us. Absolutely. Again, comparatively, not a bad storm to what other people were going through. But again, your storm is the worst storm, right? What's happening to you is the worst storm, even though comparatively that's not happening. Like many more have experienced a lot more pain than we have. But what I will say, I feel like I went through all the stages of what we just said. All the stages of quickly going, oh no, there's a problem, I gotta fix this. Oh no, it's not working, let me try to manage and fix and figure it out myself, which filled me with worry and stress and anxiety and fear. And, I, and I'll admit that I, like the disciples came to Jesus so many times with like, God, I know that you can stop this. Like, right, I'm a pastor, I teach on this, I know this. You're sovereign, you're in control. Like, I know you do this, but man, there were so many times where like, Lord, I, I don't think you know actually what's happening. I, I think I know better, and I'll tell you why. And I would come to God all the time with my own cases. We, right? Do that, sound like you guys too? Of like, God, if only you do this, this can happen. I can actually serve you more if this happens. Like, right? We, we justify, we come to the Lord. But all that said came to the realization that, no, God knows best. He's good. And he met my wife and I in a really sweet way. I mean, throughout that process, we experienced the Lord, his presence, and his power. And I feel like in many ways, when I was reading this story this week, uh, it, it, for us, it was the last five years. For me personally, it was the last five years. But God is doing this new thing and this new work. And yes, church planning is a storm in itself, for sure, absolutely. There's hardships to it. But I will 
I, I would say I've walked out of the storm, I'm out of the boat now, and I have seen Jesus' power and his presence displayed in richer ways over the last five years than I ever have in my entire life. Harder than I've ever experienced, but more tangibly experienced the presence, the power, and the person of Jesus than ever before because of these truths that he was and is with us, and he's able to sustain us even through our greatest storm. Amen? Amen. Let's worship Jesus on that note. Father God, thank you so much that we need not fear. Even though we want to go there, and that might be our natural inclination, that we do not need to, and we were not made to. We were made to be with our God, to be near to you and allow you to be God. Not us to try to take control, but you to have control. And Father God, as we go into this time of worship, we pray that you would meet us. That this time would be a time where we we meet with you, that, that we commune with you, that we remember you, we worship you for who you are and what you've done. But we pray, Lord, that we would be a people now that respond to you from your word, that we would respond to you in worship, that we would come and ask and, and pray to you, that we would ask you for more faith, that we'd be a people that are reverent before you, but also joyful. God, we give you this time and ask that we would rightfully respond to your word in worship now. Thank you, Lord, that you are always in the boat. And thank you that you are always more powerful than the storm.